Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Bounty episode of the podcast for this week. I'm Spectre. With me is Z. Today, we have some various topics, including some Vulns in Galaxy Store, Facebook SMS Captcha, and more. Um, for those who are interested in the Spot the Vuln, the solution will be covered tomorrow. That'll be at the start of our binary episode. And uh, yeah, with that out of the way, let's get into it. So first, we thought we'd mention that the DEFCON 30 talks are now up on YouTube. Um, we will be doing coverage streams of them. We do need, we still need to nail down a date for that. Um, but yeah, there are, there are definitely some awesome talks there that we, we'd like to do some coverage on. Um, as always, there's, there's a various mix of, of what the, the talks cover, um, some smart contract stuff there, threat intel type stuff, and even some hardware talks. Um, it personally, I'm most interested, uh, in the, in stacks matching talk on the JTAG hacking with the, uh, the iPhone's lightning connector, uh, as well as James Kettle's talk on the browser powered desync attacks, which we actually covered the post for on the podcast, but, um, yeah, there's some cool talks in here, I think. Um, and Defcon's always nice to cover because they have a they have a very permissive license, which allows us to do the streams without having any like uh, special considerations. So, um, oh, it, yeah. they call for attribution, but that's not a huge issue for us to do. Um, yeah. Another one I'll call out is um, Pi Three as a talk here. Um, I can't remember the name of it. Yeah, exploitation, the era of formal verification. I feel like he did a blog post on this also, which we may have covered over on the binary episode. Um, but basically talking about exploitation, even when you're dealing with a formally formally verified software um, and issues that can still arise in those cases. Um, let's say I think there's a blog post that we covered. I'll maybe drop the episode number in our links. I don't have it right now. Um, I also want to call that talk out. Yeah, some like formal verification isn't something we really see in the podcast too often. I think we may have covered it like two or three times, but um, definitely not something that's super common and um, kind of a newer area of research. So, yeah, I think that would be a cool talk as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I was uh, I guess it is like end of October now, but they did go up a little bit earlier than I expected. Um, although we kind of said before that we were hoping that DEF CON would have the talk stuff immediately like they did for um you know, when, when the, a lot of the talks were virtual, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's nice that the talks are up. There's also some other conference talks that are up as well. Um, Hexacon though, we'll talk more about that tomorrow since that focuses more on the binary stuff, but, um, yeah, there's a lot of nice talks out there for, for anyone who, you know, likes checking out the talks for, for resources or just learning stuff. Um, yeah, there's, there's a bunch of, of content out there right now for that. So thought we'd give it a shout in case you missed it. Um, and like I said, we, we will be planning to do some coverage streams. We just got to nail down a date and, uh, we'll let you know when those are up on, on the discord and whatnot. All right. So, uh, with that out of the way, we'll get into some of our issues. Uh, up first, we have a post by SSD disclosure on a Vuln in galaxy store for Samsung devices, um, specifically an XSS through the ID parameter on the Samsung redirect page, which can be accessed through a deep link. Unfortunately, there's not really a lot of details. There's some images on the blog post, but they are extremely tiny. I, I think ants would struggle to read it. Um, I'm guessing that was just a mistake on the on the author's part, uh, meant to make them bigger images and, sh and have them shrunken. But the original image is the shrunken size. So yeah, just kind of unfortunate there because I wanted to look at the image to see a bit more about the issue and uh, I can't read it. Yeah, but, opening um, the image specifically does help a little bit. Um. Like you can kind of zoom in there and get some feeling for them. Uh, yeah. Some of them are really bad. I think there's one that is a little bit larger. Or there's yeah, a couple there's that, are that are readable. Like somewhat readable. Yeah. 
it was a pain trying to decode what this what was actually going on here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, basically what's going on here is the ID parameter on that Samsung redirect page. It seems to be a fairly straightforward XSS. Um, and they could get the MCS web view to go there and pass a malicious parameter to exploit it and access the Galaxy Store object. Um, what's a little bit more interesting about the post is less the XSS and uh, what kind of impact it offered, um, because that Galaxy Store object could be used to download and open apps, as it had the download app and open app handlers on that object. Um, so yeah, if you exploited this XSS and got the web view navigated there, um, you could have malicious code download and open applications. So. Kind of an interesting scenario, not really one that you'd expect to see super often. Um, it's, you know, it is a Galaxy store. So in that case, obviously it makes sense. But um, yeah, it's kind of an interesting impact. So figured we cover it for that reason. But unfortunately, there's not really a ton of details on the vulnerability there. Well, um, they do include enough for us to actually talk about what the vulnerability is which does seem to come down to, so there's a little bit of an assumption being made here that this does have to do with the um, uh, scripts being injected by the web view itself, um, because this does need to be within that MCS web view. But I mean, they do talk about, basically, it ends up taking the parameters from... Uh, okay, so starting from the top of this, I guess, they have kind of a redirect, well, this redirect page, uh, DevOps slash redirect, if you access that, if you like look at the source or whatever, they don't indicate where they got it besides they reverse engineer these parameters. So maybe looking at the app and seeing what it was displayed with, including a couple parameters and you get all these nice buttons there. And when it's creating the buttons um, inside of the MCS view, which you can trigger using one of the deep links. So victim visits an attacker website. They have this deep link on there that goes Samsung app. MCS launch. That's how they can get any link open inside of um inside of that MCS web view. So that's kind of its own little issue. On its own wouldn't be a huge deal, but then once you're inside of that when it opens this redirect page. Um that's where it goes crafts some of these links. And in crafting those links, it just takes all of the parameters that you have in the URL and plugs them right into like the href for uh, a tag um and in that href like does no encoding of it does no checks so you can just break out or get your classic cross-site scripting and that's where they get the flux out. so it's not a super interesting issue because it is very direct but it is an interesting attack surface having to go through that mcs web view um and I'm assuming it's like the MCS web view itself and the scripts that are included in there that are actually doing some of this processing because otherwise you'd expect this to be exploitable just by going to that URL. Although I guess they do also, actually in their proof of concept, it does seem like they go right to that URL. So maybe I'm mistaken about how, what the impact is here. And it's just, that actually probably is the case. Um, sorry, kind of falling into place as I'm talking through it here. Um, they're getting access to that Galaxy Store uh, object inside the window object. They're getting access to that because it's inside of the MCS. Yeah. Store. yeah so those, that's like, where it's, APIs, yeah. yeah, that's where it's getting added from. Okay. Um, so yeah, my initial assumption there about there being some sort of script, I guess, was wrong. But um, it's still an interesting case of using those web views to get that more privileged access.
Um, like on a whole, like attacking the web views is an interesting area and looking at what the web views are providing and doing. Um, cause another thing is just being able to redirect some web views can be a fairly useful primitive to have also. In this case, it's not quite going that route, but yeah, I thought it was worth showing you just because it's a little bit of a unique area. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So, um, that's where that's where the the blog post offers some cool stuff as as well as the the way the attack is leveraged. So, um, yeah, kind of simple vulnerability, but there's some cool stuff around it too. All right, so uh, we'll get into our next post, which is an article on a Facebook SMS captcha bug. And Z, I'll let you take this one away. Yeah, so this bug is another one. It's fairly simple, but also kind of unique and just an interesting interesting bug to have. What it goes on here is you've got the SMS captcha, so they don't actually talk about exactly where this comes up, but given it's an SMS captcha, I'm assuming if you're doing something on mobile or whatever, it might send you this captcha like via SMS, click the link, and then you fill out the captcha um, as just one of its captcha options. I'm not sure of the exact context, but the idea would be that you're going to be doing some other activity. Um, and so they're going to want to forward you to another location after you actually finish this to finish what you were trying to do. And so to facilitate doing that, they have this nice little next parameter. And you can probably see where this might be going now. Um, that next parameter, um, after you fill it out the CAPTCHA, it'll go and it'll actually make a post to that next parameter location. Um, and importantly, it'll include the CSERF token. Again, it's thinking that this is a valid user trying to do this and they enter the state legitimately. But an attacker can go ahead and craft any sort of next parameter, um, craft whatever they want in there and point it to sensitive uh, GraphQL endpoints that actually do like mutation actions. Um, they use the example here of create update, deleting any of the feeds or stories or whatever, adding or removing email or mobile numbers, even making sensitive changes. Um, so I mean, pretty much from that, like, it, it's just the functionality is basically just that next parameter, which usually you see more as like an open redirect. In this case, though, it's creating the ability to effectively do a cross-site request forgery. Not, not exactly cross-site because you are linking them to Facebook to create that request. So it is, it basically gets through any of the same site, but the effect of it. It's very similar to just a uh, standard sort of cross-site request forgery, and it's including the cross-site request forgery token, therefore like, bypassing any of the checks for that. I thought it was a unique way of just abusing that functionality. Um, and Facebook was able to fix this just by, I believe they just signed uh, the endpoints. Yeah, added yeah, they, they added a, yeah, they added mes uh, message auth codes, um, which I thought was a bit of an interesting way to tackle it, but, you know, it, it makes sense. Um, yeah, I mean, if you can't limit it, then signing it makes sense. Um, just having, well, I'm saying signing using that kind of interchangeably. Technically, there are differences, but yeah, making sure, yeah, it can't be modified. Adding some sort of integrity check to it. Um, and yeah, they got a eighteen thousand seven hundred and fifty dollar bounty out of this one, so good bounty too. Pretty nice bounty, and uh, a little bit of a surprising issue. Um, like. A little surprising it was found in Facebook's capture like this. It is the mobile SMS captcha, so maybe it wasn't looked at as much. But um, yeah, it, like when you see a next parameter going to like a some form of like uh, verification, like that's one of the first things that you look at, really, if you're trying to 
do something malicious. So yeah, um, kind of a, another sort of obvious issue, but maybe not, I guess, where it's in the SMS stuff. Um, out of chat, uh, just the guy, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, asks, basically we can steal a C-Surf or just guess the C-Surf or just bypass it. Um, kind of bypassing. What this lets you do is, as soon as the user has actually filled out the CAPTCHA, Facebook itself will create this form and like post this form um, that will go to whatever URL you want. So it's effectively a bypass. It's making Facebook make the C-Surf request itself and it's including the uh, C-Surf token or the important value for that, this FBDTSG um, input value is what you need to send as their uh, C-Surf token. So it effectively just adds it to whatever post request you actually want to make. Um, you are limited in that you don't control all of the post values, I believe, but you control everything inside of the get. Um, for GraphQL, that's usually sufficient. Um, and they'll make it as a post. But yeah, I thought it was a just cool bug because of that aspect. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't have much more to add on that, I guess. But hopefully that clears it up for you. Yeah, one thing I wanted to call out just from the, uh, the bounty part of it is... Um... So he, he got the $15,000 base and then he got a, a bonus for it because he was part of, uh, I think they said he was like in like the Diamond League or whatever. Um, now, it's very possible and just forgetful, but I didn't even know Facebook had the uh, had those kind of tiers because um, it's sort of like the ZDI tiers from from what I'm getting from it. Um, so, you know, with ZDI, if, if anyone's looked at that, um, the more submissions you have throughout the year, you kind of upgrade your your like tier or whatever and you get. Um, more bonus payouts on your submissions. Um, I didn't really know Facebook had that. I don't know if that's a, a new thing, but yeah, I mean, it, it caught my eye when I was reading the report. And uh, yeah, m maybe we've we've seen that before and I just like totally forgot. But um, yeah, it seems like kind of an interesting thing. I didn't really know Facebook had those incentives, but or yeah, meta, I, don't, I guess I should say. I don't think it's super new that they've kind of introduced that. Um, actually... I'll just pull it up here. They have a few different things that goes into that in addition to like the multiplier, and then they have other kind of bonuses that they'll toss out into it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, okay. I mean, it's just their way of trying to get more people participating in their bounty and making it a little bit more worthwhile um, without yeah, necessarily cool. needing to. I mean, they are upping the money when they do the multiplier, but some of the other options are non monetary. Yeah, uh, Facebook yeah, has so always cool had like a pretty decent bounty program. Oh, for sure. Yeah, um, I just don't remember the uh, the like multipliers and stuff like that being in play. Um, maybe it just hasn't really been mentioned that much when we when we've covered it before. All right, um, but yeah, so we'll get into our next post here, which is a post on another bounty write up. Uh, this time on Google, uh, specifically their Data Studio subdomain, or what's now called Looker Studio. Um, this is a tool provided by Google for like building reports and dashboards and such off of raw data. I'm almost certain we've covered it before on the podcast. Unfortunately, I couldn't find any references to it in our notes, so I can't tell you exactly when we would have covered it. 
Um, but I think it's a target we've covered before. Um, it, it's a bit of an interesting one because, you know, it's a Google subdomain. So obviously it's a, it's a juicy target, um, but it's also not like super well known. It's, it's not one of like Google's more advertised products or whatever. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, that makes it kind of an interesting target. Uh, the volunteer was an IDOR and their template system for utilizing various dashboard and report templates. Um, so they go through the process of, of how these templates work. Um, going to the template page, when you click on a template, it directs you, and then you can edit and share it and add it to a report. Um, and to do that, it uses the template ID and sends some requests to an internal endpoint, um, including this persistent temp report endpoint. Um, the, the parameter of interest here is the source report ID parameter. Um, basically, it's, it's possible to just swap that ID with that of an ID belonging to a different account. Um, and from what I understand, basically create a report template from someone else's report. Um, obviously, as is the case with most of these types of uh, indirect object references, practically speaking, I, this wouldn't be very easy to take advantage of, as you would need to know like a victim ID to pull this off. And it doesn't seem like these victim IDs have like a super low entropy. It would be pretty hard to guess. So it's kind of just another one of those things where it's neat that you can pull this off. You can swap the ID and do some interesting things. Um, but you know, nonetheless, they, they got a 3k bounty for the report, and it is still a valid issue. Uh, it's just not one that would be very easy to target uh, somebody for. But yeah, um, again, just looking at kind of these lesser known products looking in the uh, in the report feature, it's a little bit of a hidden vulnerability, because you have to look at the internal requests that are going on there. Um, and, and, and tamper with those. But uh, yeah, Still, like I said, it's it's kind of a cool bug, and uh, the the impact is is pretty cool. So, uh, figured figured we give it a quick shout here. It's not a super long blog post or anything. Um, it's it's fairly straight to the point and a uh, fairly simple issue. But yeah, I mean, it's in a Google subdomain, so um, you know, it's it definitely, definitely has, not a useless report. Has the impact, and while I might not be all that familiar with the product, um, I mean, pretty much everything Google uses or Google puts out there, like, has used, especially on the business side of things. There are there are a number of companies that are kind of within the Google ecosystem, and so they would be using it. So, like, definitely some damage there. Uh, looks like the IDs are, um, you know, sometimes you'll see more like the Snowflake-style thing where uh, you'll have the timestamp encoded. It doesn't look like that's the case here, so it is, it does appear to be fully randomized. Um Obviously, I haven't actually taken a look or run any statistical tests across that. Um, so not really predictable, but that is something Google always still pays out for because it is an issue. And this is something that they prevent in like they have the example of the get report endpoint, which you can also pass the same ID into and it won't work there. So like there's clearly an attempt to prevent this. Um, and just as one endpoint didn't have. And yeah, um, kind of speaking about the depth of finding this request like it's not super deep but it is kind of a reminder that even these fairly basic issues still exist on you know google owned applications um they're maybe a little bit harder to find i feel like we've also talked about some other google issues that you know sometimes they are just really cool and crazy issues but other times it just tend to be these Simpler issues, you just have to look in the right place. You just have to look deep enough or at the right request to actually find them. Uh, just kind of that, I guess, a reminder of looking at all the requests going on, not just your URL bar, actually kind of digging into these applications to understand what they're doing. Yeah. 
I did want to pull a few things from chat as well. So just guy mentioned, uh, since it's a Google product, that's very highly used, um, at least internally within Google, not necessarily outside of it. Yeah, I mean, it's more of like a corporate uh, focused product. It's not something that it's not like Google Drive or something where like, um, it's going to be used by a lot of individuals too. it's it's mostly targeted towards companies, which you know, is a valid target too. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm not trying to downplay the issue there. Um, something just like I mentioned earlier also was uh, base. So this is jumping back a little bit to the last topic. Um, so yeah, the, the Facebook hacker ranking system is just under a, a year old. So um, it is a little bit of a newer thing. So cool. Okay. Good, to, I, good to get a bit of clarification on that. I thought it was a little bit older than that, but I guess I haven't really been following just assume they'd have been doing something like that longer. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. In terms of timeline, I mean, uh, pretty quick turnaround, as you'd expect, uh, reported on on the 16th of September. Um, and it was, you know, they were rewarded September 27th. So fixed within a few weeks. Um, and uh, yeah. All right. So we'll get into our last topic here, which is uh, an HTTP request smuggling report that was uh, reported in Node.js on Hacker One, And Z, I'll let you take this one. And this is yet another um, interesting or unique bug. So first off, just at its core, the issue being that node, um, when it gets a new request coming in, trying to process it, um, it, it'll see, or in this example here, they've got a transfer encoding header. And they do something a little bit, something that I didn't even know you can do in HTTP, which is they do transfer encoding, um, colon, and then they have chunked and rn for like your crlf and then on the next line instead of doing a new header they've got a space comma space chunked dash false or um in other examples they use identity specifically there um i did not know that you can do multi-lined header values um that's actually a thing in like the http spec um it has another name like obs folding i think is what they call it. But yeah, I had no idea about that. And Node handles this incorrectly. Um, Node will basically read this as transfer encoding chunked. Uh, whereas a proper server should read that as chunked, chunked false for this example case or and other examples they use here, chunked identity. Um, identity kind of being important because when you provide identity, it should now know that the body should be empty. And so you can kind of have a desync or a disagreement on a front-end parser who understands, okay, this is an identity requester, um, and therefore has no body, versus node, which will read it as chunked, and then read the actual thing as chunked, um, as like a chunked encoding for the body. So they'll have a disagreement there, can potentially introduce a uh, request smuggling issue. It seems like you'd have kind of an odd situation where this does introduce request smuggling. Um, just a guy in chat mentions uh, that's visible in burp if you activate the proper function for this. I mean, it might be visible there, but just like in looking at requests passing through, I haven't seen like, uh, you know, my browsers, as far as I'm aware, isn't like generating the multi-line ones. Um, I can imagine some software may be doing it or... Perhaps I've just missed it, but I had no idea that was a valid thing. So I'm sure other people are, aren't aware of that. But I mean, if Burp has support for writing them or actually testing it, that makes sense. Either way, I thought it was kind of interesting just on the aspect of 
you know, one, that's a feature that I wasn't aware of, so it was new to me at least. Um, and secondly, like, as I was just saying, the actual ability to exploit this does seem really dependent on a fairly odd scenario. Uh, because at least the example that they provide here with... Um, so they do have another version of this report where they use chunked identity. Um, the example they provide here is a front-end server seeing identity and then seeing a body should effectively be rejected by the server. You would assume it should get rejected by the server. So it's going to depend on that front-end passing through a body with the request when it should, or passing through something it understands to be a new request that doesn't look like any sort of request at all. Um, so it seems weird like that. Unless you have Node on the front-end, in which case if Node is your front proxy, then Node sees it as chunked, reads the whole body, and the receiving server on the back end doesn't, but having Node as a front end seems a little bit weird to me. Node is usually your back end server. Um, nonetheless, it is a theoretical attack. It is a problem in Node itself. Um, and they did report this note, so like fair game. It's completely a bug there. I'd be interested if this was seen in the wild or any kind of real world setups where this was abused. Um, but yeah, I thought it was interesting nonetheless. Um but I'm not sure about the exploitability. Yeah, but uh, you learn new things on the HTTP spec every day. So, uh, Seems yeah, because I, come I up also, a lot. yeah, uh, I also wasn't aware of the uh, uh, of the of the multi line stuff. So, yeah, I mean, kind of an interesting report. Um, a bit of a like complicated issue in terms of how things fit together. And yeah, I, I'm not sure how exploitable this would be in real world, but. Um, you know, like you said, it is still an issue in Node. It was reported there and, uh, you know, uh, apparently fixed. So, um, yeah. And I yeah. guess one other attack that they call out um, is this could lead to a filter bypass in the case where the front end proxy is not supposed to forward requests with a non empty body. Um, which is theoretically possible, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, it is just one of those things. Like, there are theoretical attacks, but I can't imagine like a really good situation for it. Um, but yeah. it is possible. Like, I mean, there's so much code running out there. The right combination of things almost certainly does exist. Yeah. All right. Um, but yeah, with that out of the way, that's pretty much all the topics we have for this week. Uh, Z, unless you have any last minute things you want to bring up, we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Nope, no shout outs. Well, I guess we had the DEF CON talks as the shout out. Yeah. Oh, actually, um, I do have one thing. I should have actually said this at the top of the episode and I kind of forgot. Uh, just the guy's comment just reminded me. Um, I won't read it out here, but um, during the last uh, bounty episode, I talked a little bit on our Cobalt Strike topic. Um, about APTs and probably not using um, Cobalt Strike. Um, I kind of want to issue a bit of a retraction on that. That is definitely not my area of expertise at all, but it does seem like some actual nation-state actors do, in fact, use Cobalt Strike. And, of course, at the lower level, criminal actors and that sort of... Uh, those sorts of threat groups uh, will use pirated versions of it all. So definitely out there, definitely getting used in that way. So I was just entirely mistaken in my imagination, I guess, on that. So 
should have said that at the top of the episode, but at least I'm getting the correction in there now. All right, cool. Um, you did just mention the uh, the DEFCON talks. Like I said, we we will be planning to do some cover streams of that. We'll let you guys know when we have a date. Um, and the notifications for that will will be up in the Discord. Uh, we'll let you know on Twitter as well. Um, and yeah, uh, I'll also mention the VOD for this will be up on Twitch immediately or on other platforms like YouTube tomorrow. Um, we also have previous podcasts up on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more links on Anchor. Um, once again, just feel free to join our Discord for, for notifications. Um, and yeah, we'll be back tomorrow with the binary episode. That'll be at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, and we'll see you then.